Well, hello there, friends. This is Event Demystified, brought to you by Jifan Event, and I'm your host, Anka. On the show with me today, I have a wonderful guest that began working in hospitality and events over 20 years ago, or maybe we should keep that secret. <laughs> she brings a world of event knowledge in handling events as diverse as all weekend wedding bashes and international activist conferences and corporate milestone celebrations. Amy is an event professional business owner that began her event career in Austin and then moved to Portland, Oregon, where her experience in envisioning and co-creating and managing successful memorable events of all kinds became the cornerstone of her company, EGP Events, which has been planning and coordinating productive and engaging experiences for companies, associations, and interest groups for over 15 years. I've had the honor of working with Amy myself on a few events before, most recently, a two-day virtual event conference that we will discuss in more detail today. Before I bring Amy in, a few fun facts, just so you get to know her a little bit. She is the child of immigrants from the Philippines. Herself and her siblings are the first of their family to be born in U.S. And that was Manhattan, New York, to be more exact. She once thought she would be a scientist or a researcher and studied science at Yale. She moved from New York to Baton, Texas, which left her with an indelible appreciation for public transit and what a life-changing experience the walkable city can be. She finds the recent surge of storytelling in business interesting and always wants to reference it back to indigenous culture and practice rather than think of it as something that's purely business or U.S. American practice that just came out of nowhere. When she was pregnant, she reviewed all the data about childbirth available to her and it almost sounds like me, Amy. <laughs> as well as the history of women in medicine and midwifery and decided to birth her children at home. I did not get to do that, so <laughs> we'll probably stay away from that. However, she is an amazing event professional. She brings so much knowledge, and I welcome Amy to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you outside of work hours. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. There were definitely a few uh, intense weeks there, I think. Especially leading, you know, to the event. But I mean, how have you been? Uh, what are you up to these days? It's been a few couple of weeks since we talked. What's uh, what's happening in your life right now? Um, you know, I think a lot of the same, you know, I think as one event wraps up, we move on to the next one. And it's really not any different. Well, I guess it's different because in 2021, most of the events that we're doing are still virtual. We actually do have one live in-person event um, that is coming up in September. So I believe the organizer just announced it. And as soon as I get the okay on my social media, we'll probably be talking about it as well. So it's a, it's actually a public festival. So that's um, exciting. Yeah, pretty excited about that. But you know, the event that you and I worked on just last month, it's an annual event. So we are actually wrapping up the data, wrapping up our statistics, closing down the budget for that event. And our meeting is next week to start planning 2022. So it really doesn't end. Never, <laughs> um, it never ends. 
Yeah. In fact, I've been thinking about you a lot, Anka, because uh, two more events that are coming up this fall have reached out to me. Um, one was on the books already, and it was a year postponement. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were all thinking a year's fine to postpone to September 2021. But now they are talking about introducing virtual or hybrid aspects into it, as well as another new, it's not new to Portland, but it is uh, new to our company. They are looking for assistance as well for another virtual event in the fall. And I think as soon as I saw that there were 37 speakers for (laughs) one of the events, I instantly thought of you. I hope you don't mind. I just thought, hmm, speaker tech techs. Well, let me tell you, it was a pleasure working with you. So let's do it. That's an email for me after this. Okay, absolutely. You know where to find me. (laughs) But before we even start talking about that, I want to get into our first question. How does one start from, from the beginning when it comes to a virtual or hybrid event? So what is really the most important question to start your strategic planning when you're planning a conference. When you started the conference that we worked on, when you started planning it, what was the first question that you started asking yourself in order to make this successful? Well, it's going to sound a little cliche, but I am a CMP. And the first thing that they teach you when you study for the test is Goals and objectives, right? That's like they beat that into, you you know, like goals and objectives. Quite a few chapters. It was was almost (laughs) like when you take the test, it's like if you're not sure if goals and objectives is one of the answers, you pick that one because (laughs) it's the most important thing, right? So this is not new. This, I mean, virtual events are new to a lot of people. You know, we've been doing them for about five years, but this concept is not new, right? You still have to make sure that you are digging deep into the why of your organization. You know, even if it's a social event, this is really interesting. A lot of people don't think about social events or parties or weddings having a why or having a mission statement. Right. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you look at people's personalities, their why of why they're having that event, why they're having that wedding and how they want to do it is in there somewhere. Yeah. So it, you know, it's goals and objectives and that's where you start because you have to do so many, you have your strategy and then you have your tactics, right? So you're going to have to choose your tactics based on what objective you're trying to push forward. So for, I want to say for this particular event, you know, there were a number of things, but one, and this is very common with nonprofit organizations or associations is that their big event is a fundraiser. It's a money raiser for the organization to pursue its mission as a Mm -hmm. whole the whole year long. So, you know, they need to come out on the other end of that event with a net positive bank account so they can continue to do the other months of membership activities, membership support, whether it's providing education, providing certification, or whatever that association is doing out in the world, all of those things cost money. So one goal for this event was that it had to make money there. That's very, you know, data wise, that's very easy to quantify, right? And then another big part of it is that they're sponsored, you know, and so leading to that, their sponsors are very important. The sponsors support the event 
and help it, you know, get over that bar of just selling tickets, right? You have a lot of events that just sell tickets, and they're always kind of squeaking by. But, you know, when you have a strong sponsorship base, it gives you some of that freedom to give free tickets away or defray the cost of a individual attendee to come to your event and benefit from it because Mm -hmm. you have sponsors backing it up. So sponsors were really important in their goals and objectives. That's among several criteria that they had, but those are two items that helped me, you know, get started on that road of all those different decisions that had to be made around the virtual event. And I might say with a virtual event, creating enough ROI for a sponsor to be interested, that was a completely different challenge, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So sponsors definitely want a return on their investment. They want to see results. Um, So they have, it's interesting, they have their own goals and objectives, right? So you have your organization goals and objectives for the whole event, then your sponsors, they may be different. So there's a lot of tailoring and customization that has to go into into that sponsorship process in order to serve all those people and sort of cover all of those interests. Absolutely. I recall when we first started the conversation about this two-day virtual summit last month that we worked on recently, you were in the process of reviewing a lot of enterprise-grade event platforms, and you were mentioning at the time, you know, On24, Cvent, Visible, Hopin, Socio, just to mention a few, and you end up landing on WeFairs. And having gone through all that research yourself, what are some of the tips that you can give event planners that find themselves in that same place where they need to provide a solution for their client, maybe pick like three best options to choose from. What are some tips to help the selection? You know, event planners really need to understand what the software will and won't do, you know, because everybody's website looks great. Everybody's pitch sounds very, you know, really awesome. But Ultimately, when you get down to it, you have a checklist, you know, just like if you were hunting for a hotel venue or a resort venue. So your virtual platform is your hotel. It's your venue, just like you would for a hotel find out, does it have 24 hour room service? Does it have a shuttle to the airport for virtual event platform? You know, you might want to ask, does it have an exhibit hall and what does that look like? Does it have one-on-one meetings within the platform um, so people don't have to leave your event and go out to Zoom to the network or something like that? Does it have matchmaking? You know, you're going to have as an event planner, just like you would for site selection, based on your goals and objectives, you're going to have a checklist of what does my virtual venue have to have? And based on that, I I think that, you know, I think that's one of the most helpful tips that I can give is, you know, make that checklist. And um, as you demo the software, try to find that stuff up, up front before you sit through an hour demo to find out you know, it doesn't have those things. Um, There was one software, I thought they were very helpful, actually, even though I didn't do their demo, before they even let you sign up for the demo, they sent out an email that says, just so you know, our software doesn't have these things. And they just said it, you know, they said what they don't have. And it turns out two of the things that I needed were on that list. So I was able to just cancel that appointment and protect my time. 
which is amazing that they actually were upfront and honest about that because not yes. a lot of platforms do, right? I think they realized that their time was valuable as much as mine. So, you know, and again, as a planner, depending on your where you are in the industry, you know, I think a corporate planner might be doing this at work and they're on the clock or on salary. And that's great. They can allot an hour of their time every day or every few days to sit through one of these demos, you know, as an independent and a business owner, that is not necessarily what my client is paying me for. (laughs) Right. So I have to budget my time really carefully balance that against the I'm going to gain knowledge by doing this demo versus this is going to be an hour down the drain if it doesn't, if it's not something that's useful. So I think, but because it was a priority, I, you know, just had to balance that time management and maybe cut some other things out. Maybe that month I didn't blog or something. Absolutely. (laughs) It's a trade-off. You have to weigh it it because there's so many, there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. And I mean, with 150 something, I don't even know what the number is at this point. I think last October was like 147. I have no idea where it's at right now. How do you pick just the top few to research? Because to go through all of them, that would be insanity, right? Right. And I think that's where professional planners can rely on their associations, right? If I believe in associations, I need to believe in my own associations, right? Yeah. So, you know, you can go onto the websites of, say, like PCMA or MPI, ILEA. There, you know, there are associations that provide education and support for event planners. You're not alone. You don't have to demo 147 different pieces of software. In most cases, a lot of those associations have articles or information where they've already done a few breakdowns for you. And there are some helpful blogs like the Event Manager blog, which was just purchased by Uh, the hospitality news company Skift. I'm sure you're Mm -hmm. aware. There are also, you know, media companies out there. So those come with ads and you have to kind of dig down and figure out like, is this just a sponsored post or what? Ultimately, there is a lot of information out there where you can kind of do your top level gleaning of, you know, maybe your 10 or 20 candidates that you're going to interview, then you can go from there. Again, I think the the process is, is very similar to site selection. So it, it doesn't have to be daunting. So what are some of the important lessons that have been learned in the process of planning this two-day recent summit that we both worked on, especially leading to the day before the event went live? Mm, I think, you know, sort of on the whole, I think an important lesson is that to budget a correct amount of time. So you may be sort of thinking of your own time management and sort of like, I have enough time to do X, Y, and Z. But whenever you're dealing with any event, live or virtual, and especially going to virtual, I just think that there is an increased time allotment that you're gonna need just because of communication, time zones, the learning curve that attendees and sponsors are going to need. So, you know, at a live event, if the speaker's mic is not on, you know, you just send someone up to the stage to fix it, right? No big deal. (laughs) At a virtual event, if the speaker forgot to unmute themselves, 
you can't reach through the screen and <laughs> you know so they need to really be coached on knowing what they're doing and you're lucky if all you're using is professional speakers who do it all the time my experience with nonprofit and association events is that you have awesome people but they may not necessarily speak virtually you know once a month maybe yeah. they're doing it once a year maybe this is their first time so there's that learning curve and it's the same thing for sponsors you know we were talking about return on investment a lot of that return on investment has to do with the networking they're going to be able to do during your event well again at a virtual event there's so much great networking the software supports it but if your sponsor doesn't know how to use the software then they're not going to get that return on investment right yeah and ultimately, you know, we've all heard it, the buck stops with the event planner. And it's, I found it was my responsibility to coach sponsors on how to use their software. So I had a lot of one-on-ones with them. And that was, again, time. Probably in the beginning, you weren't even thinking that it was necessarily to be so much time allocated in just that one particular spot. And then you were faced with the reality, actually, I do have to yeah, now. Yeah. And uh, we didn't actually, I mean, this is a regional event for the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, we had a pretty manageable number of sponsors, I thought, but I'm just, you know, when I look at some, you know, bigger national and international events and their sponsors, I think planners really need to look at the reality of they're gonna be spending 45 minutes to an hour with 50% or more of their sponsors yeah. who may be new to some of these systems. And that is that time's got to come from somewhere. And in fact, there were some sponsors who were from large companies, large corporations where they had several offices and each office asked for a one on one with me. So even one sponsor was requesting four meetings with wow. my team on how to how to use this virtual software. Yeah. So that I think that was that was a challenge and or a, a lesson learned. You know, it's it almost like you have to create and budget for time, like the same way how you have line budgets for different expenses, right? Yeah. Well, you time have to money, do the same so. for your time. Exactly. Yeah, time is money. And, you know, so, you know, that's got to come from somewhere. Thankfully, for a lot of the, I would say, basic technical questions, the VFair support was very good in that they could answer those right away. But just in terms of manipulating the software from a marketing standpoint, that wasn't really like a tech support discussion that the tech support team could go into. So a lot of those discussions fell back to me. Yeah. So what are some features that you considered important prior to the event, but then ended up not needing them as much or not serving much of a need once the event was underway? Hmm, that's interesting. I would say, I want to say, I feel like audio chat was one of those items mm -hmm. that possibly didn't get used a lot. Again, because, you know, you've got that attendee learning curve and sort of like what's in front of me that I can do right now this very second is what I'm going to do in virtual software. I feel like a lot of attendees and sponsors sort of, you know, they did video chat and they did DMs or public chat. So they type things or they click the video button. 
I don't know that like phone calls in the system were really used very much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would say that was an item that probably didn't get used as much as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But everything else, you know, I feel like we were pretty much, we were spot on in that I think some of my criteria is that it needed to be an intuitive interface that felt like they were going to an event as opposed to opening Zoom or opening yeah. It was reflected in the surveys. We got a lot of surveys that were very positive where people felt like, you know, they're like, well, this was a terrible situation. The pandemic is terrible, but you guys made it as close to the the in-person event as it possibly could be. And this was a 50th annual seminar. I know. You know, that's a long time to meet in person. Actually, my next question would be like very much related to that. I mean, how easy or difficult was it to maneuver the world of this new virtual reality inside a platform for an event that has historically met in person for 50 years? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was definitely a challenge. And I think it goes back to that time allotment. I mean, I'm an early adopter. I love downloading apps and trying things out and, you know, having the latest gadget and all of that. But this is definitely, it's a finance, insurance, banking event. So you already have a very traditional corporate workplace. You know, everybody was coming from traditional corporate workplaces, lawyers and accountants got the bulk of our attendees for this event. And again, the organization has a 50-year history of them going to their annual conference and, you know, having cocktails and listening to speakers. And it's not the kind of event that they shake up very often, if at all, you know? (laughs) So I I honestly, when I sent out those surveys, I was just like, I don't want to hear. No, like, please be nice, you know? (laughs) But you know, I was pleasantly surprised that the what came back was very positive Do scales of one to five. And we were, you know, solidly in the fours and fives for mm-hmm. most things. I did do a day one and day two survey. And I noticed that the surveys were higher on day two because people had had a chance to get. Yeah, there. it goes back to that time allotment is that give yourself as a planner more time to do this type of pivot. It's not just you, it's your attendees and your sponsors who have to figure it out. And as early as you can launch your platform, if possible, you know, the earliest you can launch it, the better and maybe have many events leading up to your actual big day or big days you know, whether it's sponsored small networking coffees or something like that, where you have maybe a 15 to 30 minute subject matter expert or something Mm -hmm. like that, or some kind of small roundtables where attendees are sort of getting hyped up for the event, going into it and getting curious and logging in early. Yes. I remember you opened it up for the event like three days in advance. Was it two or three days? Yeah, we opened it on the Monday, the Monday before for a Thursday, Friday event. Okay. And that was all due to things like, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that needed to be built and it really wasn't ready until Monday. So again, with more time, you know, maybe you can open up your event a week, two weeks before Mm -hmm. and not just open it and send the email. Gosh, it's just 
with everyone on digital these days and everyone being online, you're trying to cut through all that additional noise that people have in their home offices now. So even your your website launch or even your, you know, hey, the site is open and come check it out even that's got to have multiple touches to get people to do it because people are so busy and without, you know, again, the additional energy from you, additional energy from the organization and sponsors to drive people onto the website to practice before the event, attendees don't know that they're being told to practice. They're being told, you know, to come to this networking coffee or something VIP, but ultimately your goal is to get people familiar with the platform and you have to ask them to do it multiple times because they're being bombarded with emails and Slack. Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifan Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifan Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. To find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable, go to trifunevents.com. Having those multiple touch points that you mentioned so important because your email would just get lost through the noise in no time if that was the only reminder you send out. Right. Multiple emails, get your folks, your members, your attendees to join social media, offer incentives, offer prizes for people who uh, participate more, get your, you know, just as you might do it at a nonprofit gala, for example, you know, you have your your seated donors in the audience, for example, for a corporate event or a conference or symposium, maybe start with your planning committee and they're your ringers, right? And maybe have them reach out to one other person. So now you've got what, 10, 20 people who are your your hype crew. <laughs> Cheerleaders, yeah. Right, and they're, yeah. they're getting out there on social media, they're posting videos, using the hashtag before the event. And that way, you know, if they miss the three emails that you sent, maybe they're going to see it on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And yeah, it is more work. But again, the rewards are great. You know, if you can pull off a virtual event, there's just so many rewards in that now you have you have all this data, probably you made money, probably you didn't spend as much money as last <laughs> year. A lot of people are saving money by holding virtual events. And while I want to, you know, get back to in person as much as anybody, for some organizations, that was a benefit. That was a relief. Yeah especially in the middle of a pandemic. So going back to the speakers, as you mentioned, some are professionals, some are one-time, once a month or one-time, once-a-year speaker. What would you say helped prepare the speakers for success when presenting their content online, especially someone that's not necessarily used to do that uh, in a virtual format? 
Right. Well, I think this comes back to you, Anka. I think you have to have a great technical producer, yeah. right? Somebody who knows all the rules of camera, lighting, and background is going to spend the time with that speaker to check their bandwidth ahead of time, check what do they have on their laptop? What kind of software? Do they have everything that's needed? Gosh, a lot of times I was talking to people, not necessarily for this event, but for some other things, or I was talking with sponsors. And they were working from home with these sort of really locked down computers because this was finance, banking, insurance. You know, we have a healthcare event coming up. You're going to see this in major industries. People's laptops don't have stuff on them that you yeah. think, you know, people would just have. They might not have Zoom. They might not have PowerPoint. It's like shocking. But yeah. if you work at like some huge international bank, they're giving you like this super lockdown machine so no data can get lost, which I respect yeah. and understand. But you're going to, again, going back to the time, that's going to be more time for you while you figure out a workaround, while you yeah. figure out what can I get this person to record? And they didn't have webcams. So we had to figure some stuff out. Uh, it's interesting how you end up realizing those things that you would before not even think about it, especially if you don't work in that environment. Because <laughs> I mean, I install on my computer, whatever I want. Yeah. It's like, nobody's going to stop me. I from doing that. I mean, it's true. Like you would have firewalls and type of VPNs. I've never heard of in my life. Like how do we break through this? And I would totally agree with you. Like having that time, the attention spent mm -hmm. on it. Do you, uh, I mean, you are definitely proactive on so many ways. It was good to see that. And again, it, it wasn't like your, your first rodeo. So it's important to have that experience and then come into planning an event, virtual or not, with that type of background and uh, experience and the understanding of technology as well. Uh, and this next question is really purely informative, as I already know the answer to it. But it would be great to give some feedback, you know, to our audience as well, especially in the context where there are a lot of event platforms out there that have all sorts of features and offer all kinds of integrations, like you said, and claim to integrate everything and any streaming provider. However, how they do the integration itself is a totally different story and it very much varies from platform to platform. So I guess going to the conference that we worked on, how did you feel, how easy was it to integrate the live streaming into this event platform and were there any pain points to learn from in the future, moving maybe to a different platform or using the same platform for whatever what's coming next? Um. Yeah, honestly, it was super easy. As far as I can think of, you know, there weren't any super huge pain points. One thing I can think of is that, you know, we used StreamYard into vFairs to remind people uh, this particular situation, but there's so many other situations that you could use, you know, with a yeah. virtual platform. vFairs, like many other virtual events, platforms will accept a lot of different ways you can put in your content, right? You can have live streaming, you can pre-record, you can do some kind of mix of both where you mm -hmm. could have a pre-recorded uh, presentation and then bring your person live for Q&A. A lot of people call that Simulive. So yeah. I felt judging from my usage of it, as well as the surveys that came back afterwards, I felt they were very positive about the clarity of the signal they felt like it looked very professional. It looked like a broadcast. 
And definitely a lot of that was due to the technical production as well. You know, we used graphic, you applied graphics to the stream, you introduced speakers by using lower thirds, you know, the lot of things that you don't really see in like a Zoom call or a Zoom webinar, right? Absolutely. So the feedback was that it was very positive. Now we did have one speaker who wanted to use polling. And mm-hmm. so VFairs currently at the time I used it didn't have built in polling. I think that is a feature they're adding. But again, you know, going back to the whole site selection virtual platform selection checklist process, you know, put that on your checklist if it's important to you. It wasn't actually on top of mind back in May, June, July, August, when I was doing this site selection process, it wasn't something that had been Mm -hmm. brought up to me from the committee. Honestly, going to the live events, I had never, you know, this was my fourth event with this organization. And I had never seen a live speaker use polling in the auditorium. So it just wasn't on my radar. But then a speaker who was experienced speaking virtually, she wanted to create that additional engagement during her presentation and said, hey, I want to use polling. And we, you know, we figured out by using third party software, and we made it work. But I think that was one thing that, you know, VFairs didn't really have. Yeah. Going back to that feature, has it either? Yeah, the so, features that you normally want to have if you knew that it's something that has to be part of the list, right? Yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't part of yeah. my list. Well, luckily you know, we have Mentimeter and yeah, uh, Slido. <laughs> yeah, there's Slido. There's Kahoot. is very popular amongst educators. You know, we have an educator conference that uses Kahoot a lot. So, you know, there are definitely workarounds. I think, again, ultimately, you're still doing an event, right? I think a lot of people get daunted, you know, when we say things like virtual, we say hybrid technology, simuli, and there's a lot of words getting thrown around. But ultimately, you're still an event planner, and you're still bringing people together for a purpose, just like your platform processes like site selection, there were so many aspects of the event that were, we really try to get at the heart and soul of like, what are we really trying to do here? What are we, what's the purpose of us all being here together? Absolutely. Opposite to that example that we had, which was easy integration. I have this other example though of another platform that I recently worked with. And I'm only bringing up as maybe not a warning, but just a knowledge topic that should be taken in consideration. Because like I said, you know, there's a lot of platforms out there promoting live streaming integration with ease. And it's quite popular for platforms to have lots of good features. Going back to your checklist, you need to know possibly even this streaming integration, what is the mechanics of it? How is it going to work? Because it could be painful at times. We had this experience where even after several tests, and it wasn't our experience, but it was my experience with a different platform. We were running several tests and we had many rehearsals done. The difference was in the streaming integration between the platform that we use, Amy, Easy, an RTMP code and a stream key, and we were there. There was nothing else to add. However, this other platform that I got to work with 
they couldn't necessarily receive the um, RTMP code. They needed an iframe embed code. And if you're using a live streaming studio like Vimex or StreamYard, you can't just stream straight into the platform with a, an iframe. You will first then need some sort of a CDN, a content delivery network like YouTube or Vimeo. And from there, you will be grabbing the iframe embed code to create your live stream in the platform. Now, the moment you start adding all those extra integrations to the chain, it does sound straightforward enough, but really until you start running into latency issues and dealing now with three different service providers, the chances of running into issues now are threefold as well. So some of the biggest frustrations, I hear this all the time, is with virtual conferences. And it comes back to this lack of effortless integration sometimes between the streaming production platforms and the receiving end, in this example, the event platform. And for an event planner to have to try to understand the mechanics of all this technology, it takes quite the effort. And that has been one of the reoccurring teams that I've heard from so many different event professionals that pivoted from in-person conferences to, you know, virtual summits and virtual conferences. And honestly, I don't blame them. I definitely felt the frustration myself when I had to deal with this. Everything should be working and it's not, you know, and it's frustrating, right? So because you've been around the block for a while, Amy, and you've been at the forefront of all the changes that have happened the last year, like you said, you know, you like to stay on top with what's happening and what's the newest gizmo out there. How really have you been been able to get into that state of mind to keep up with all these changes and not feel overwhelmed, especially mm -hmm. as technology changes so fast these days. All the technology changes that have occurred really in the past year alone with the virtual events. Yeah, wow, that's a big one. And I think there's a couple of different pieces to that answer of like how to stay on top of technology and how not to get overwhelmed. And I think it's funny, I just read an article. If you follow the registration software ePly, mm -hmm. uh, they have a great blog post about how to beat the overwhelm that meeting planners, event planners face. And I would just reference that to you for like a general take a walk put a timer on your desk and like, don't, because you're working at home at five o'clock, you know, we have cocktail hour at my house. <laughs> so <laughs> even if it's just a LaCroix or whatever, we have like this ritual of I'm out, I'm gone, you know, at the end of the workday, it might not be right at five o'clock, because let's be real, but around like six, six thirty-seven, definitely gotta put your tools down, because brain is gonna peace out. So just like <laughs> as a basic, you have to take care of your wellness and your mental mm -hmm. health. And then on that next level, like to stay on top of technology, it's just like staying on top of any other information that you have to stay up on top of as an event planner. I was just thinking the other day about all the stuff event planners have to know about these days, you know, what you're expected to know about. I got an email about active shooter training. And it's like, we don't like to talk about this stuff. Yeah, That's something, you know, it's like, we've all been in the situation where I'm like looking at the exits, is my meeting safe? It's not just virtual technology, there's so much other information. And I think again, you going back to you have to lean on your associations, you have to lean on your friend doors, you know, your vendor mm -hmm. friends, you can't do everything yourself. While you were talking about the StreamYard integration, I kind of got, you know, the top level of what you were saying. And I was, you know, I was like, as you were talking, I was like, I don't know what all that means, but I do know that once you stack a lot of these things on top of each other, you're going to get lag. Yeah. And then by the end of your sentence, you said latency. And I was like, yes. oh, right. I, I understand know, this. You know, <laughs> 
you don't have to be an expert on every last thing, but make sure you're armed with the resources and the team and the people. If you're an independent, if you're a sole proprietor, that can be your vendor friend. That's where your networking comes in. That's where your associations come in. If you're on social media all the time and we're all guilty of going through Instagram or going through, you know, whatever, Twitter, you know, don't just look at people's profiles, reach out to them, you know, maybe set a networking goal once a week. You see somebody who's really awesome doing great work. And I see people like that all the time. Send them a quick message or comment on their feed. Build up your hype crew. <laughs> yes. So, and I love what you said before we started. If you see somebody that's quietly being awesome, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. There's so many people. And yeah, it's not even like people who are posting all the time. Maybe it's that person who's got 500 followers or whatever. And it like you read their stuff and you're like, this is amazing. It doesn't take but five minutes to go out, hype somebody up, reshare their stuff or like their post or leave a really nice comment. You know, it makes yeah. my day when somebody says, you know, if I post a picture that I like, you know, I remember the day of the event and I'm like sweating and like carrying crap and killing myself to like do this event. And of course now it's like a pretty picture, but when somebody leaves a nice comment, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, I read them all. So to beat that overwhelm, um, I think you got to network. So you have like a hype crew, you know, so you have like a yeah. relationships with people who know stuff that maybe you don't know. And I probably subscribe to too many emails. But again, I can always just if I'm in a busy day, I'll just read subjects and delete them all. But you know, every now and then, like, you're gonna get an email that's got really helpful information. Like I think, honestly, one of those emails was that event manager blog, where they're like, we just demoed 20 different virtual event platforms for you. And I was like, did you know? <laughs> so like that, you know, to me, that's valuable information. And that's yeah. free. So that's yeah. how you can stay up on the technology as well as like any other information that you need to know. I think it all gets down to yeah. that networking and being connected while also protecting yeah. your time. Or listen to a podcast. I make a point every day I drive my kids to school. If I have like 15 minutes one way, 15 minutes back, I listen to one episode or half of an episode, especially if it's one of the long ones like ours right now. <laughs> you know, it really keeps me up to date with a lot of stuff because I don't necessarily have all the time in the world. I have to do it while I do something else. And like you said, you have to be a very intentional with your time and what do you spend yes. it on. Yes. So I guess as we're wrapping up this conversation, conversation. What is your best, I would love to hear from you, what is your best tip for any event planner starting new in planning virtual conferences, virtual events for associations or any type of clients really? What would be your best tips or tip that would be helpful? I would definitely say build out your team. If you're starting out, it may or may not mean that there's an area where you're going to need support. You know, maybe you're coming from corporate, so you already have a lot of tech, you know, knowledge. And so that's not a piece of the puzzle that you're looking for. But maybe you're starting out in events, so you don't necessarily have somebody to answer the customer service phone, for example. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you when you open registration and attendees can't figure it out. <laughs> 
there's going to be emails and phone calls. So, you know, maybe think about those places where you might need support and make sure that you're at least putting a plan in place for the future when it happens, if not just getting somebody in that position right now. And it doesn't always have to come from your organization. If you're working for a company or an association, they may have board members, they may have committee members, they're volunteering their time, you know, for their organization. So maybe that person who's like, say, like a membership chair, or on the membership committee, they're going to be the ones who answer registration emails, for example. Of course, you're going to train them on how to use the registration system, but it's better to train one person, one volunteer than to have to train 400 attendees who, when, as soon as they open your event registration and it says, I'm registering for myself, I'm registering for someone else. This is no lie. Like this is actually something that happened to me. I got so many emails where they were like, which one do I pick? And I... (laughs) I thought it was I straightforward. Like, are you registering for yourself? Are you coming to my event? Is it you? Then you click myself. Are you registering for your boss? Then you're registering for someone else. You click the other box. But people needed that explained to them. And again, if I didn't have a team member assigned to handle customer service, that would have been taking away my time that I was doing all that other stuff, the strategic stuff that you and I were talking yeah. about. That would be my number one tip. That is fabulous tip to keep in mind. And I hope some people are listening and taking notes <laughs> because it's priceless, especially when you're in the head of day of, it's a completely different scenario than what you think you had in your mind, how this was going to play out. Yes. So Amy, Thank you so much for sharing all those tips and all the knowledge that you've acquired doing all these events. I would love for our audience to be able to find you and all the things that you're posting and you're referencing. And I know you're quite active on LinkedIn because I get to actually, you know, like your post and go and like, sometimes I do read headlines and then sometimes I actually go in. And I love when people actually just post like snippets of what was the takeaway, like the main takeaway, because maybe sometimes I don't have time to read a five minute blog. Not everybody (laughs) has time. See, I'm a big reader and I read fast. And I, I don't get audio as as well. Like I always have to look at captions. <laughs> and Interesting. It's, it's just how you process information. And it's just so easy for me to read something. Yeah. But I definitely, there's so much great podcasting out there. And obviously this one. So I think I'm going to be getting more into that. So where can our audience find you? Where are you on social media, online, places that you share information on? Yeah, I would say our blog is our main place. Like I said, I've been writing a blog for about 14 years since 2007. And that is ejpevents.com, just like Edward James Paul, events.com. And that same name, EJP Events, is sort of where you would find us anywhere on social media. That same handle is used on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. LinkedIn is just my personal name. So you search me by first name, last name to find me on LinkedIn. But I think those are the easiest places to contact me. You contact me on those channels, get me and I will answer you back. 
Well, thank you so much. I will make sure to have those links in the episode notes as well. Thank you, Amy, for joining me. It was such a pleasure talking to you and having a conversation, you know, about events without having to be on the clock about the right. event itself. I mean, StreamYard for just us, <laughs> you know, and not, awesome? not texting somebody and saying, where is that speaker? Well, where is our speaker that's 20 minutes late? <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast totally thank you again i appreciate having this time with you and we will keep in touch everyone else that's been listening to us make sure that you do follow amy on social thank you amy thank you Okay, friends, this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for all of you listening here in the US. But guess what? We also have listeners in countries such as Australia, Canada, UK, even my home country, Romania. And of course, countries such as Hungary, Germany, Sweden, Ireland, Moldova, Bulgaria, Taiwan, Denmark, Israel, Portugal, India, Norway, Russia, Korea, South Africa, Greece, and Japan. That is a lot of countries, a lot of nationalities, a lot of people listening. And I am beyond honored. I'm actually humbled to know that this podcast has such a wide international reach. If you're listening from any other country that has not been represented here, do reach out and let me know. I would love to hear from you and just um, grasp where are you guys from. And if there's anything that I can talk about that is specific to your region, I would love to. So send me an email, podcast at trifanevent.com. And of course, you can also find me on social media. I try to stay active. <laughs> when I have time. So do subscribe to this podcast so you stay in the know with all of our new episodes. I would also love to hear if you have any future topics that you like me to cover in future episodes or maybe ideas of who I should invite next. I already have a little bit of a lineup, but you know, I can always change my plans for you guys. Come on. If you have any pressing questions, also do send those to me. I would like to support your adventure in virtual and hybrid event learning as much as possible. And like I said, the easiest way to get a hold of me is on social media, especially Instagram at trifan underscore events. I welcome your feedback. So keep that coming. And I think that's about it on the housekeeping details. Wishing you a fantastic rest of your day. Until next time. <laughs>